project at www.mormonwomen.com. Welcome to the Mormon Women Project podcast. In this episode, Elizabeth Osler interviews MacArthur Krishna and Bethany Brady Spaulding, authors of Our Heavenly Family, Our Earthly Families, a children's book published by Deseret Book last fall. And this conversation took place in the fall of 2016. We're just putting it up on the podcast now. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, this is Elizabeth Osler with the Mormon Women's Project. And today I am speaking with the co-authors of Our Heavenly Family, Our Earthly Family, Arthur Krishna and Bethany Brady Spalding. Thank you, ladies, for being with me and having this conversation. Good morning, Liz. Great to be together. Um, so We're always you delighted when we get to talk with you, Liz. Uh, I feel the same way about you guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's start talking about this, this lovely, lovely book. So the first question I have for you guys is, what motivated you to write this book? So this is something that um, we get asked a lot. And I think that there's kind of motivations that have come from different angles. Um, So there's two specifically. I mean, one of them for me is that I now live in India, which is exactly the opposite side of the world um, from my family. And so I've thought a lot about what family means. and, And as I've gotten married and been kind of building a family culture, um, then these are the questions that have been rumbling around in my brain for the last few years. And I even chose to go by MacArthur. So I was actually born not with MacArthur as my first name. That's been my family name. Um, but it's the people that I love best. And so every time someone calls me MacArthur, I get this little trill of delight that ripples through me as I'm like, yes, those are the people I love best. And so for me, part of the motivation of this book is just the the time to think about and celebrate uh, the people I love best, and how I want to create this this joyful um, second uh, entity in my own life. And so that was part of it. The other part of it is that Bethany is really good at spotting gaps. And so we started the Girls Who Choose God book because, well, actually her three-year-old spotted a gap. There's no women in the scriptures. And, you know, after no, long, I want to read about stories about girls. The- Right. She was reading a cartoon book of scriptures. She's flipping through saying, where are the stories about girls, right? We, we, want, we want to read about them. So that was the first gap that we worked on. And then the next gap was obviously the Book of Mormon, because we all think there aren't any women in the Book of Mormon, um, even though women are mentioned over 150 times, sometimes very negligently, but sometimes with enough meat uh, to get a story out of it. And so that was the next gap of like, you know, where are the women? And so... Then we start looking around and thinking, okay, where's the next gap of where women are present, but that are not part of, you know, not part of our lives? And the obvious one, at least if you're Bethany Brady Spalding, is Heavenly Mother. And the reason that these gaps are so important is because when we, when we know these women are present, and I use women to mean divine goddess as well, then then we can learn from them. We can grow from them. We can benefit from having them in our lives. And so being able to write a book about family that has Heavenly Mother in her rightful place with all of the information we know about her through revealed doctrine, and we are very careful um, to, to stick to what we know, um, it's just really exciting um, to be able to tell a family story with our Heavenly Mother uh, present. So those are the kind of a few different motivations to that kicked this off. Yeah, thank you for that. So the phrase that you used that really stood out to me there was Heavenly Mother in her rightful place. Can you expand on mm-hmm. that, what, what you understand that to be? Either of you? Sure, I'll take that. Yeah, sure. Go. It's been beautiful to look through this compilation of quotes about Heavenly Mother. Um, Dr. Paulson, a BYU religion professor, over the last few years had compiled all the quotations. It's not a comprehensive list or exhaustive list, but from the early days of the church up until the present day, 
um, where general church leaders and authorities had spoken about Heavenly Mother. And it's astounding to go through those and learn that we actually do know so much about her attributes and her roles and her traits. And so when we say rightful place, you know, we know that she was part of the council in heaven and that this whole plan of salvation, this plan of happiness was part of her idea and part of her vision um, for the human family. And so to put her in that rightful place as being part of that council, um, we know that she took part in the creation. Of course, the mother God, you know, with her creative powers, created this beautiful world. And right now she is absent in the way we describe that in our manuals and our temple ceremonies and in, um, you know, in, in our church at large. And so putting her in that rightful place of being involved in the creation, um, in creating our spirits. One of my favorite parts about the book is it's a very simple line, but we tell children, you know, boys were created in the image of Heavenly Father and girls were created in the image of Heavenly Mother. And again, it's so simple, but it's so, I feel empowering for girls to know that and make that connection. And so putting her into the rightful place of, of being in of speed in her image. Um, so many things like that, that, that um, all the aspects of Godhood of creating, designing um, and loving and guiding and blessing our lives, all the, all those most intimate and beautiful things of our lives that we attribute to God um, up until now, that's mostly associated with heavenly father and we feel this book is an exciting step forward, and it joins many other many other movements to put her in a rightful place to be part of that connection between us as humans and God. Yeah, I'm, amen. Right. <laughs> um, I, one of the things I thought about when I was hearing you speak is because you, um, the three of us, have been in conversation about this book, and I knew that it was coming before it published is that as a young women's president that I found myself adapting my language, and this might alarm some people that I was doing this, but I felt very good, um, not just good, I felt spiritually supported in doing this, is when I was teaching these young women that I would say, so that you can become like our Heavenly Mother. Because I think what you're talking about is really important is to... It's for us to understand that, that so we were created in her image, and it is her image that we will also be exalted in. Well, one of the things that's most um, important, I think, about the information that Dr. Paulson um, found is that there's actually no time that a general authority or a prophet has told us that we should not speak of Heavenly Mother. So we all know that it's a little bit like, hee hee, hoo hoo, am I allowed to say this? Is this okay? Like we all have this feeling. Somehow we all grew up with this cultural idea that we weren't allowed to speak of her for, for whatever reason. And there's a couple of kind of, you know, theories that circle around about why we're not allowed to speak of her. And we've even had people on like kind of blog commentaries be like, wait a second, is this okay? Are we allowed to do this? And so we wanted to be really clear that the LDS Church has on their website one of their articles about what's um, kind of to delve deeper into the doctrine. One of the essays is Mother in Heaven. And the first line says, this is one of our cherished doctrines. And so I, I'm grateful that young women leaders like you have chosen to, to pull that language in. There is no reason we shouldn't. We have never been told we shouldn't. This hesitation is just somehow got embedded in us, and it is not, um, it's not legitimate. And so for you to do that actually means you're just speaking to pure doctrine. That's great. Right. And I think we've gone beyond that, that we shouldn't talk about Heavenly Mother. We've gone past that to we should and we need to. I think, mm. you know, the mm. young woman that you're working with, Liz, and, you know, MacArthur and I, between us, have six young daughters, and this, the whole next generation of women. both women, been young women. <laughs> yes, we've both worked in young women. And I think um, there's just a emerging urgency that we need to talk of her. It's not that we shouldn't and can't. It's we must and we, we will. And I, I actually just made a pledge to myself in all of – I'm in the primary presidency, and I've just decided – I will always use the term heavenly parents and I will reference heavenly mother now because I think it's essential. And I think those of us who have had these deep things in our heart are meant to help our Mormon community move us forward on things. I am, 
I love the term Fiona Gibbons is a, a neighbor and friend of mine here in Richmond. And she talks about the second restoration where Joseph Smith brought in the first restoration. And now there's the second restoration of all of this feminine divine and all of this, all of these important truths that are coming forward about heavenly mother. I feel like, I feel like um, we're called to do this work. And I feel like the young generation of Mormon women um, are depending on us. And it's essential that we do that for them and with them. Yeah. So, and do you feel like this petition to amend the young woman's theme to say we are daughters of heavenly parents is in that vein? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that must change and soon, and I think it will. I'm hopeful, too. It will. Yeah, I think, you know, the friend is starting to use the term more of heavenly parents and not just as a couple, but even heavenly mother individually. I think, I, um, you know, just as you mentioned in general conference, it was used you know, by um, apostles three or four times. And um, so I, I think MacArthur has this beautiful phrase of kind of this tidal wave. And I think it's happening. And I think um, it's going to move all of us forward in, in positive and important ways. Yeah, exactly. And so I want to even circle back to the, the statement that you were... So you have statements in every section of your book. Do you call them sections or chapters? What do you call them? Do you, <laughs> we call them spreads, because that's the official publishing <laughs> term. <laughs> right? Is that what you said? But you can call them anything you'd like. <laughs> okay. Um, so in these... Um, that there is a statement by a church leader that either references heavenly parents or heavenly mother um, explicitly. So, was that what was that process like, and what in in getting those statements was it difficult? Um, I would say it was intentional. And so we knew that whatever we were saying in this book, we wanted to be absolutely backed up by modern-day revelation. And we consider modern-day revelation to be living scripture. So for me, it is absolutely legitimate and even more pertinent to our our current uh, state. Um, You should know that out of all of those quotes, we actually had many, 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 many more but we picked the ones that were the most current with names that people would recognize um, from sources that would be considered the most legitimate. Um, if you go into Dr. Paulson and you read all of the other quotes, there's a lot more there um, that just you know, begins to get farther and farther back. And so we wanted to make sure that you know, we're talking about Holland and Ballard and you know, people, um, people that are current in our lives. Um, but it was intentional that we went through and said, okay, you know, here's, here's the information we have about a family process, about a, how a family comes to earth and gets started and develops and grows. And, um, and we know that Heavenly Mother is present and loving. So let's make sure that we've got um, our words to describe it in fun and playful and, and interesting ways. And we have a quote from a um, general authority or a prophet or a female church leader that can support um, the, the, the aspect of the family we want to talk about. And I would build on what MacArthur said in that we are so honored and very humbled to kind of gather, and this is the first, you know, a church, a, you know, affiliated with Desert Book being the official publishing arm of the church um, book about Heavenly Parents and really shining light on Heavenly Mother. But we really want to acknowledge that so many other people paved the way to make this possible. You know, just the oh, research yeah. that oh, yeah. Paulson did. And and um, Rachel Steen- Hunt Steenbleck was one of his research assistants. And and Maxine Hanks and the many people, and um, men and women, who have come before us who have um, felt deeply about this issue and have done the hard work of the research and the gathering and collecting. So we're very grateful to those who have gone before who have made this book possible. We, we feel honored to have taken their work and to um, put it into a form that children can enjoy. And that's, that's MacArthur and I's forte is taking all these great big ideas and, and being able to share it in a uh, fun, comfortable, interactive way with children. Absolutely. I, I, cause I too am familiar with, with some of these other 
people's work in this, and I do love how interactive, as you say, your your work is. And um, with so going back to with to these statements with Dr. Paulson, is that where you were able to find most of them? Did you look in other places? Was it hard to find? I guess really what I'm asking are statements about Heavenly Mother or Heavenly Parents within church leadership readily, can you find them readily or does it really take some digging? I think more and more there's more sites and blogs and, you know, the article is accessible, but I think even now there's different sites that you can search topics of Heavenly Mother and it's becoming more and more easy to, to identify and see those type of quotes. But sure, it it, it well, and on the church's on the church's website that it has the topic of Heavenly Mother. Actually, it's titled "A Mother in Heaven." Um, there are quotes within that that we saw after we'd written the book, and there are some of the same quotes we use in our book. And so, there is readily available as lds.org search "Mother in Heaven." Boom! We've got I don't know five, ten, uh, not ten, but there's at least five or more quotes from different people. Um, it's a very short essay, right? Um, yeah. But I, I would say they're readily available. Great. So as you were working on this project, what what were some of the challenges? <laughs> well, I'd say some of the challenges is just the reality of family life. Right. I mean, like Bethany and I could only work on the book when our family's needs were were not <laughs> present or were, had been met or were off at school. Right. And so, um, like, Bethany wouldn't even start working until 10 or 11 o'clock at night when her kids were down. And she'd call me in India and my kids would have just left for school. And it meant that as we were, we were trying to just like siphon off these windows of time to work on something that was so important to us. I mean, one or the other of us was always brain dead, right? Because of our, our time zone issues. And so, I mean, just the realities of life make it really hard to work on a project. I mean, that's one. Second is uh, we weren't always in the mood to write a book about family. I mean, sometimes I'd call Bethany up and be like, I'm so frustrated. I can't even talk about eternal families right now. Right. <laughs> can we just talk about something else, right? Um, and so I think that um, one of the things that we try to really show in the book is that this is not getting a circle and saying kumbaya about families kind of book, right? I mean, we talk about families being quirky in the book. We all know that's just a euphemistic term for crazy. Like, we all come from families that are sometimes a little bit challenging, sometimes is, even if they are, like I said, the people I love best. I mean, and so I think... Um, Sometimes the reality of trying to write that book is that you have to have to acknowledge the reality, um, which is both glorious um, but demanding. I know. I think that's that's one of the things. Absolutely. Um, I would I would say too, just one of the challenges is that family is such a sensitive issue, and everyone's family looks so different. And as we approach this topic, knowing that this would be the best format to be able to talk about Heavenly Mother. We really reached out. We tried to be sensitive in, at the very beginning and reached out to our single friends, our divorced friends, our friends, um, you know, LGBT friends, and say, you know, we, we are going to attempt to write about a family. And that is a, that is a, delicate, um, mm-hmm. a delicate task. And so I think for, for me, one of the biggest challenges was how do we write about family in a way that resonates with the widest group of people and that isn't hurtful or isn't, you know, isn't holding up some ideal or some model that doesn't um, isn't a reality for many people, and so we that was a challenge. But we we worked really hard to be as sensitive and as inclusive as possible. And certainly, it's not perfect, um, but that was a tremendous challenge, I think, in writing on the family. Yeah, and so yeah, and I should say that actually. Go ahead, please. There was a great review from Mormon women that said, like, it's not about the structure of the family; it's about the you know potential and promise and. And creation, and I think we should be really clear that we didn't want someone to pick up this book and feel depressed. Like yet another family book that doesn't make sense in my family, you know? Right. Yeah. And so, actually, I, so how long did it take you to <clears throat> excuse me to write this book? 
we we were actually um probably a year macarthur is that accurate yeah it's about a year to write and another year to get all the publishing steps accomplished okay. so right. having it really prominent in your life and this idea of thinking about families in these ways of our earthly family and our earth, and our heavenly family so and I don't even know you can answer this or if this is a fair question, but what, having spent this much time focusing on families, how do you, de- what makes a family? How do you define what a family is? Because you're right. It, it looks like so many different things. How do, you, how do we determine what makes a family? And that's something we deliberately decided not to do. We did not want to define family because that is political and it's divisive and it's hurtful. And not only did we not want to do it, but Desert Book also did not want to engage in that either. This was not a book to define family. This was a book to describe the possibilities and the opportunities that family, whatever that looks like to families, um, you know, can use to inspire them to love each other more and to be more patient and to be more playful and to to um, use the family as a school. Maybe I guess in that sense, that's the one thing we define family, that family is a school that teaches and tutors us to become like our heavenly parents. So we didn't want to describe, we didn't want to define what a family looks like. We wanted to define what a family does or has the potential to do. Yeah, I love that. And I would also say... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say I love that because it it allows it allows us experience in building these families to define what they look like for us, and that that should be an individualistic thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, that's what I was about to say: is that a family to me is almost synonymous with just an individual, because mm-hmm. you are a family unit, even if you're not married, even if you don't have kids, even if you're a grandma, even if you've never been married. I mean, whatever it is. I didn't get married until I was 37. And I build a family from the people I came from, um, as I've mentioned, but I also build a family of a tribe of people that I adopted. I have sister friends, um, as I call them. And, and, you know, in Thanksgiving dinner with family, sometimes it was, you know, people that I just collected along along the way that I adore. (laughs) And so I think that, you know, for me, family are the people I choose to, to be with. And, um, and so, and, and then all the same things still apply. I mean, we would, these are the people who I learn from and grow from and they can be a school and, you know, all the same things, you know, love and forgive and blah, 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 you know, and those are not people that were, you know, my spouse or children. And so I think Bethany's right on. We, we intentionally did not define this. And then we understand that every person is, is part of Regardless of your earthly situation, you're part of this heavenly family, and even on earth, you can choose to create from whatever place you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that really resonates with me, too, in my life experience. So, how does this knowledge that we're part of a heavenly family... And you, influence you as parents? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think MacArthur often says it well that that knowledge is should be comforting and can be comforting and is comforting when we feel inadequate, um, whether in our own roles, parents, as that we are insufficient to to love unconditionally or to be inspired to know important needs of our children that our heavenly parents are partnering with us on this endeavor that we don't have to be perfect because we have, we have the gift of heavenly parents. I think for children, it's also, it's comforting just to know that, you know, I don't have, and many people don't have the exact type of relationship they would long to have with their earthly parents. And to know that we have that potential with our heavenly parents is comforting and to know that, that that relationship can be beautiful and all and make up for all the lacking in some of our earthly relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done that. And for too. me, for me recently, as I've been spending time with a new baby, um, as we were going through this writing process, um, 
it feels like my child is is on loan to me. You know that um, that the heavenly parents have entrusted me with this responsibility, which makes me think they're crazy. Frankly, like, are you kidding me? You you, you you sent me this that I'm supposed to tend and nurture and love. And are you kidding? This is such a pure soul. I can't believe you're letting me do this. Like, and then you know this idea that that she is really theirs. Um, and obviously she's also mine, but for me, the predominant emotion is I've got this stewardship, um, of something that is so pure that it is, it is, it is very much beyond me. Right. And so to, to know that heavenly parents trusted me with this, but they also knew that, um, by golly, I was going to need help. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I think that um, that model of heavenly parents is vital to me in um, being able to just even have the courage to to you know to be with this pure soul every day as I try to bring my best self to every interaction with her. That's so beautiful, MacArthur. At um, Hi. On a lighter note, our family was talking about the book the other day, and my seven-year-old said, so wait a minute, Mom. This book's telling me that you're my mom and you're my sister. Like, what's up with that? And, <laughs> and she said, so wait a minute. Who are, which, who are you? Which one are you? And we just had a fun conversation. Um, but it does, when we recognize as parents, we are peers with these children, like MacArthur said, that are, that are given to us as a stewardship and to nurture. And I think... When we remember that, um, I think it's easier to have respect and and you know honor these individuals as our equals, um, and to remember that in maddening moments um, that that these are these are our equals. Um, I think is really powerful as a parent. Yes, I can I can see that. So I am not a parent. Um, I am an aunt of eleven, and. Ooh. <laughs> and and um and I see that too as I have this responsibility as an aunt to build these relationships with them, with these kids and, and how important that has been to me. And then also as I talked about with my young women girls as well, that you know, we've mm-hmm. created a little community in that little room on Sunday and on activities. And that there's something really powerful in that knowing that we are, um, you know, like with my nieces and nephews, that, that, that this is a, something we were, a re- relationships we were born into. And then with the my calling of the young women's president, that this, these are relationships that we were called to. And there's something really beautiful knowing that they all fall into a family. And... Absolutely. And I should tell you, Liz, like, um, I have some nephews that I call my true love nephews because (laughs) they're the people who cracked my heart open and made me love as purely as I've ever known. Yeah. And everyone kind of told me, oh, when you have your own, quote unquote, you know, then, then your feelings about them will shift. They haven't. That's not my experience at all. I mean, so I'm telling you this so that like... Um, you appreciate. You don't think that like being an aunt is a a shoddy substitute for quote unquote having your own, because mm-hmm. the love that I have for those boys is absolutely still present. The adoration and the desire to spend time with them, and just my delight in them, is absolutely still part of who I am. And there, there's nothing uh, cut rate about the emotions that I feel for them. So. Yeah, thank I you. Would, for, I would, I would honor that. Yeah, I really appreciate that, and thank you for saying that. Um, three of them, I lost. As you two know, I lost my sister earlier this year, and so, and she left um, four children, and oh. and of the, you know, and so I'm feeling even, even stronger. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, desires to to bond with them even more and I um yeah. and this in no way is I don't want to compare my nieces and nephews. I love all of them. 
but, but these children, I feel, need me in a new way mm. and, mm-hmm. and to step into that. And that there is something, too, about, I have to say that I've always had a testimony of our doctrine of families are eternal, but losing my sister has really affirmed that to me, that I know that she's my sister in the eternity, and wow. that gives me comfort. Mm-hmm. And so this doctrine, mm-hmm. I think as we navigate these hardships of life, can be really profound and um, help mm-hmm. at least help me stay the course and to feel and, and keep my heart open enough to continue to feel my Heavenly Father's and, have, and Heavenly Mother's love in this pain. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so beautiful. They're so lucky to think, have you, Liz. Those, those four kids are so fortunate to have you as a companion and guide and aunt. Thank you. And I haven't experienced that kind of tragedy. Honestly, it's, it, it, yeah, I can't even think about it. <laughs> but I think um, there's also the kind of the daily grind of family life. Mm-hmm. Like, my mother sincerely believes that we all chose to be part of this family, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I'm a very naturally snotty person. Um, it's one of my serious failings. Um, and you know, when I had a day that I'm like rolling my eyes at my mother, right. It's a good reminder to be like, Oh wait, I chose her to be my mother. So like, can the, the teenage snottiness, right. Mm-hmm. Teenage snottiness, you know, like happens yesterday sometimes. And so for me, it's also really important to remember that these eternal relationships that we've entered into are these, um, are things that need to be honored, right? And my mom believes we entered into them by choice, but regardless of what your perspective is on that, you know, um, sometimes our family members in the daily grind are the people that we we don't honor, right? They're the people we don't treat with love and respect. Yeah. My sister would often say that our family members our master teachers, and the, keeping in this theme of a family being a school, that they are the people mm-hmm. that will teach us a lot about how it is we can develop these godly attributes, patience mm-hmm. <laughs> and love and forgiveness and, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. Can, let's, I'd like to expand this, this conversation to include our human family, you know, where, mm-hmm. Bethany, where, where your, was it your son who said, wait, you're my sister too? You know, that, yeah, how, does it, yeah. How, how is it that we, um, how does it change the way that we treat each other and our brothers and sisters in this earthly school when we have this knowledge that we're part of a heavenly family? Well, I think just building off of MacArthur's thoughts, if, of that, wow, if we really are in this together, and if we really believe these things, you know, even after we've hurt each other, which we always do, and we will continue to do, you know, it's, it's, you know, softening our hearts, a phrase we use in the book, um, to forgive, it's, it's doing things that we don't want to do, it's being willing to walk through the messiness of it all, like, if we really believe that we are an earthly family who's meant to be together for the eternities, um, that's what we do. And, and we talk about in the book too, that, that temp, that parents can go and be sealed in a temple or, you know, or families can go and be sealed, but it's not just going there and having that one time ordinance that makes an eternal family. It's the day to day, hour by hour, you know, active, deliberate thoughtfulness. It's, it's, we build those eternal relationships. That's what creates an eternal family, not just a ceiling. Um, and so, let's see, I had another thought on that. Um, and it, go ahead, MacArthur. No, I didn't want to interrupt your thought if it was coming no, back. No, please, it will come back. All right. And I think it's also, Liz, your question makes me think of a broader expanse. Like, in living in India, there are 1.2 billion people there who, in our theology, are all my brothers and sisters. Right. And that is an overwhelming thought, at least for me. Um, and so as I look around and I'm faced with the sheer 
scale of humanity and the needs of humanity, you know, that's when it begins to be, um, like, I mean, look at me, I'm almost speechless here. <laughs> that it's, you know, this is what our Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother are, are, are tending to on a daily basis, right? On a constant basis. You know, all of the needs of all of these people that they all love. And so if we are to be part of that great expansiveness of love, you know, then we are called. And so, you know, um, the plight of the village women where I live is the plight of my sisters and the plight of the refugees is the plight of our family. And, you know, and that is, that is a, I think, a sacred responsibility to respond in, in a situation with, with empathy and kindness and as, as if they literally were, as they literally are, our brothers and sisters. And I think that that, um, that puts a lot of things in perspective as we, you know, come to the table to decide if we build a wall between us and Mexico, you know, is that the family relationship we have? Is that what we're trying to accomplish? You know, as refugees enter our towns, what do we do? What is our reaction? Even if they look and walk and talk and smell different than we do, like these are our brothers and sisters, literally, eternally. And that is a, that is, that shifts how we see supposedly the other, right? Yeah, I think it's so timely, MacArthur, that message. And we, Liz, we we asked the readers one of the questions on one of the spreads is about you know how how does how would you act knowing that you are brothers and sisters with everyone that everyone you meet is your brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. um, and it'll be fun to hear the children's response to that. And yeah, just trying to help them recognize that they can make the world a better place by being not only a better sibling but a better neighbor, you know, a better citizen of the world. Um, and if I think our children can have that understanding from an early age that all of us are connected, it will change the way they work in the world and live in the world. I couldn't agree with you more. One of the things I've really been thinking of of late is how our, that when the father is always asking us to align with him, and in those moments in my life when I have, when I have really, through humility and hard work, really felt myself aligned with him, then the thing he, without fail, always asks me to do is turn towards my brothers and sisters and now take care of them. Mm. And, and so, mm. and, and, and I'm, this is a lesson I have to learn all the time. And regardless, when you're talking about the other you know, that when I have these moments where I feel up it, when I feel inside of me this response of, oh, that person is the other, that I have to mm-hmm. then say to that part, that other is my, it's my sister or my brother, too. And, and how even just saying that phrase to myself softens things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you guys. This, right now in our you know, in our world of really being more empathetic and compassionate towards each other and really understand that, that we are, that this earth school is a human endeavor mm. and that we are all interconnected. Mm. And Absolutely. to pretend that it's not is just foolish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. It, it's, it's such an important message from our book that we hope people will embrace. Yeah. So are there... Um, parts of the book that are particularly a favorite of yours that you would want to read? I'll read one. Well, okay. Yeah, you can read. What I love about, um, I mean, when we did the Girls Who Choose God books, we were trying to be very, very careful that whatever story we were putting down would feel familiar. So if you go to the scriptures, you don't want to say, wait a second, this this isn't the story there. And so a lot of what we were doing was just retelling what was already there. Um, For the family book, it provided a different opportunity where we're talking about a concept, you know, families forgive or families strive for unity. But at the same time, we got to have a lot of liberty in, in how we went about that. And so for me, part of the fun of the book was that we get to put in phrases and, you know, um, 
details that were meaningful for us. And so uh, Zydeco dancing is one of my favoriteest, favoriteest things in the whole world. And to be able to talk about that on one of the spreads about families developing talents together and activities you can do together is just fun, right? That I'm flipping through the book. I'm like, that's right. There's Zydeco dancing. Um, and so things like that are just fun. It was. It was so much easier to write this book, oh, uh, taking into account the difficulty of the sensitivities. But the actual yeah. writing, instead of having to you know, bind ourselves to the text of the scriptures, we just bound ourselves to the experience of our lives. So it was much more fun and playful. And yeah, I agree with MacArthur. It was fun to slip in little little tidbits of our own families and our extended families into the book. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah, and I and I saw that as I was reading the book is that these families felt familiar to me because they did feel like my family. Like there were kernels of it where I'm like, yep, we do that. Yep, we do something like that. Nice. So I think that's, that's great. It's yeah, great. I really it, love them. It's funny. We have, we've received some criticism that it feels like a church manual. And we've thought to ourselves, wow, I'll sign up for church manuals like this. I don't, I don't know many <laughs> church manuals with Zydeco dancing and Chinese and paper airplane folding and headstands. And, and so certainly it's, it's not story driven. It, and so it is, you know, heavy in text, but we try yeah. to insert, you know, in, and inject just um, really, really colorful, bright uh, quirks of family life. Mm-hmm. Which are visually captured so beautifully by, um, Caitlin Connolly's art. And that was thanks to MacArthur. MacArthur made that possible. Yeah. I don't paint, but I I stock artists really well. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) They are beautiful. Okay, so uh, which one of you is going to read one of these? I'll read one of my favorite is Families Can Play. First of all, I love Caitlin's image. It's a mother with a young child on her back and a child in tow, and they're climbing over the mountaintops. And I live in Richmond, Virginia, just at the uh, foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it's our family's favorite escape to go and uh, climb through the mountains. And so I love the image, and I, um, I'll read it. It says, uh, caring for our heavenly family must be a lot of work, but surely our heavenly parents find delight in this big job. Families are strongest when they work hard and play hard. And I loved being able to interject uh, Heavenly Mother into just just the whole task of caring for our, our Heavenly Family and that it's hard, but it's delightful. Um, then continuing, earthly parents have jobs to earn money for their families. Parents and children share jobs at home, like making beds, picking up toys, and scrubbing the tub. And even grubby jobs, like taking out the garbage, can be fun. My youngest, my five-year-old, five-year-old will always ride on the garbage can as I roll it out to the curb. And it's one of her favorite things of the whole week. Um, so that was a little tipping my hat to my daughter, Bronte. Laughter and games can help get the chores done. And when the work is finished, it's time to play. Every family can discover their favorite way to have fun together. Maybe camping or going to an opera or having a pillow fight. You can make your family smile when you work and play as a team. I think oftentimes in Mormonism, we talk about the responsibilities of family, which are important. But I think one of our greatest responsibilities is to laugh and have fun and explore and adventure together. That's what, in my family, that's what builds our deep bonds. That's what builds our commitment to each other and our willingness to do the hard work. Is And so we truly try to highlight in this spread how essential fun is for family life. Yeah, and that our doctrine is is that we are to have joy, and and an action of joy is fun, right? And so I I love it. So um, this book keeps in the tradition with the Girls Who Choose series, where you have some text, and then you ask questions to ignite conversation. And uh, I think it'd be fun if you would ask one of the questions, and MacArthur and I can answer it. Absolutely. What's your favorite way to play with your family? Mine. Um, you want to go, Mark MacArthur? Do you have something? I was just going to say we have two things in our family that we love. One is we have dance parties. And so um, at the end of uh, Family Home Evening, 
we turn on some, you know, bouncy, happy music, and we all jump around and dance. And having a dance party, um, sometimes which is also a dance party pickup. And so if we're trying to tidy up the living room, you know, sometimes we'll turn on music and be like, all right, dance party pickup. And then you have to use all your best dance moves to get all the toys and, and pillows and stuff put back <laughs> in place, right? Um, but for me, I love I love the dance party. Um, and I love going out in nature. So my family likes to, um, well, I shouldn't, this is, Bethany's family does a lot more of this, but I think family spending time outside, just, you know, glorying in the gift of this earth is just so healthy. Yeah. I want to answer in two ways as well. I live away from my family, mm. my um my blood family, if you will, and I, and so I have I have a family here in Brooklyn, my Brooklyn family, and so the really for me my favorite thing to do with my Brooklyn family is to have to get together, make dinner together, and eat it together, and then just have diverse conversations about things because it really is a hodgepodge of people with different backgrounds and religious beliefs, and we have really dynamic conversations about things. It's one of my most favorite mm-hmm. things, and I find that incredibly fun to do that. That's beautiful. And I have, yeah. with my, you know, and with my, with my family of origin, my, my birth family is, I have the most fun when we can really be present. So I, I, I'm struggling in this moment to find a specific activity, but it's the most fun when, when everyone is engaged. The TVs are off, and we're really just looking at each other, and it can be something as talking or just walking down the street or even just driving in the car. But it's those moments where mm-hmm. I feel like everyone is present are the most fun for me. It's beautiful, and I think that's hard to do. In our world, it's hard to carve out time where we all are present, but it's so vital. And, and you're right. That's when we feel loved and acknowledged, and and that's where we feel the deep connections. Yeah, that's cool. beautiful. Our our family theme is fight for joy, um, ah. and actually that theme came up when we had gone on a on a hiking trip on the Appalachian Trail, and everything disastrous that could possibly happen had happened, and it was just a miserable trip. And we were about to pack up and go home, and our little. She was probably six-year-old then. Phoebe said to us, we can't leave. We have to fight. We have to fight for joy. And, <laughs> and that is stuck with us for, for years that, um, you know, we're, like you mentioned, this, we're intended to have joy as individuals and as families, but it's not easy. That doesn't come, yeah. doesn't come always naturally. And so we have to be willing to fight for it. And so um, that's our family oh, motto. That's, that's a, she colored a sign and stuck it on her wall, that um, fight for joy. I love it. It recalls to me um, Elaine Cannon's talk where she talked about reaching for joy. Mm, uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, fight for joy. Yeah. My family, I think fighting is a better, better for our family yeah. than, than reaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I really love, I love the commitment. <laughs> it's more awesome. descriptive for sure. <laughs> Mikarita, did you have a spread that you wanted to read? Um, no, but I think that it's, okay. um, this is funny. So for all the listeners out there, you know, I got up at five something AM this morning to have this conversation <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm looking around and I'm like, I don't even have a copy of the book anywhere handy. And so like I'd have to run out to the car, you know, to, to go get the book. So it's not that I don't want to read the book or like the book, but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Getting out of my cozy, um, cozy little, you know, curled up position on the couch here as I try to be quiet as my family sleeps. Like, no, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. But I think that, um, okay, just just keeping it real. Um, I also think that I was listening to this part about, you know, the, the heavenly parents taking care of this family. And again, like, so on that same spread, there's there's also a quote um, about that that work and play life. Um, but every time we used Heavenly Parents, we made sure that we had um, modern revelation that supports. So even though it seems perfectly obvious that, like, um, you know, our Heavenly Mother would be involved in that role, 
um, we want to be clear that 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 we um, we were we were using those words with intention and with uh, modern day revelation to to back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. Um, and then you even have extra you had leftovers that you put on the back. So there's extra because there's actually the so bed. many good ones. <laughs> yep, and my favorite one, my favorite ones the um, the very last one on the back is a quote by Hubie Brown that was in a Relief Society publication. Some have questioned our concept of a mother in heaven, but no home, no church, no heaven would be complete without a mother there. I think that's just such a great reminder. I think as Mormons, we talk so often about God and we talk so often about family, but this book in my mind connects those two in ways that haven't been done before. And um, by bringing the mother into talking about God and the God and family now all makes sense. It's all big and round and fat and, mm-hmm. and lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Beverly Campbell in her book, I think that Eve and the choice made in the garden, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, she talks about how Adam, when we read Adam in Genesis, that that would actually be the surname so that it's actually talking to Eve and Adam, both of them together. Mm. And I've thought about how, and, and I know I'm not alone in this, and I've heard other people talk about this too, that, that God, and this is, you know, interpretation here, uh, that a lot of times that God means the two of them together. Yes. Right? Yes. And yeah. interestingly enough, that's why MacArthur and I, in our whole two first books, Girls Who Choose God, there are no pronouns referring to God in that, those entire two books. Because we wanted people to be able to use God as heavenly parents, heavenly father, heavenly mother, however it made sense to them. But we had to work really hard to make sure that God always stands out as um, the potential to be both of them. Yeah, that's a challenge. It was. And, and nobody recognized that we did it. It was, so, it was, it was, it was I, but we did it. Yeah, and I, I totally didn't pick it up. <laughs> I, love, I love that you did Good. that. It's so great. Worthwhile challenge. I do want to be respectful of your time. So two questions. Uh, One, is there anything that you really want to say that I haven't asked? You're so fun. You've done a beautiful job of crafting questions. We've gotten through a lot of good stuff. Oh, good. Um, So then my final question for each of you, and I'd like both of you to answer this, is working on this project and doing this work and thinking about these things, what were some of the unexpected joys that came out of it? Go ahead, MacArthur. I'm thinking. Um, and so this is actually really interesting. Um, when you first said the word unexpected and you hadn't, you know, there's that split second before you'd finished the sentence, like I could come up with some of the unexpected heartaches. And so isn't that interesting that the human brain can like more quickly come up with the challenges than come up with the joy, mm. right? And um, Maybe that's maybe that's something when you said like what else would you like to say? I think remembering the joy is 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 crucial. And so how do we make sure that every single day we we acknowledge the joy of the day or if we feel there hasn't been, that then we create the joy of the day. Like stick a sticky on your mirror or something so that every single day we we appreciate the joy of family. And I think that, I mean, this book, um, when we were working on the final draft of the book, I was actually, it was the day I was going into labor and going into the hospital. And so Bethany was, um, was, was, uh, Counting contractions. uh, walking me through that process. I was, right. I was having contractions and Bethany was making me breathe through them. And then we would have like half an hour to work and then 20 minutes to work and then 15 <laughs> minutes to work and also more 10 minutes to work. I'm like, all right, I think I better, like, I got to, like, sign off here, right? But we did. And, we, we, um, wrapped off, we wrapped off our our, our um, manuscript to give a desert book right as Zara was born. That's amazing. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> she was with us. So apropos. It was a riot, you know. So Bethany's like, breathe, breathe, breathe. Okay, and we're back, right? Like, okay, what about this? And what about this? And how do we change this, right? 
I mean, it was ridiculous, right? One of those silly, silly scenes that should be in a movie somewhere. Um, but I think then that basically since having Zara, my life has been an absolute blur, which I've come to find that, you know, most new mothers experience. I mean, you're, you're sleepless and you're sometimes desperate and, you know, you're uh, exhausted and you're learning a whole new set of this, this being, right? And, and I think that that's, the, that's what comes to mind more readily about the last year is just kind of the blur. And so to make me pause and say, tell me about the joy of last year, right? Tell me the joy. And I know you're asking about the unexpected joy of the book, but I think for me, the, the unexpected joy that I need to consider is my young daughter, right? And to, um, to turn your thoughts to the joy instead of the lack of sleep, you know, is, um, is vital for appreciating the gift of family. And so as we're going through kind of our existence, you know, how do we train our minds? How do we train our minds to, to cultivate and acknowledge and like, I just had this image of this like giant swimming pool of some sort of frothy pink delicious something something mixture, right? Like, um, let's think about like your favorite smoothie flavor, right? And you get to dive off the diving board into the swimming pool of your favorite smoothie flavor and you get to, you know, do backflips and turn around and do somersaults and like, you know, do like one of those, I always wanted to be a, you know, a water ballet girl when I was growing up, right? Like stick your legs in the air and just kind of like splash around in the frothiness of your favorite smoothie. And how do we like make that mental image what we think of as family life, right? And so the while there's the the grit of everyday living, there's also this this playful, frothy celebration of of joy, right? That that we we are gifted. Families are a gift. And so I don't know. I want to think about how I um I'm just more appreciative, you know, I want to challenge myself in the next year. How am I, how am I going to train my mind to be more appreciative? And sorry, I can't answer your that question at all, but that's what came to mind. No, and sorry, I can't yeah. answer that last question, Liz, because I'm, I've gone off to go jump in my favorite smoothie. That's a great, <laughs> <laughs> that's a fabulous image. I've got my blender out. I'm, I'm getting busy, but, um, that great, great image, MacArthur. Thank you. She is, that she is always excellent at conjuring up really beautiful and fun images. Uh, I would answer that question by saying, for me, the unexpected joys of writing this book is that I think both MacArthur and I had concerns that there would be resistance to it. I think even, even as we, um, you know, as Zara was born and we, we got that manuscript into desert book, I, I think we were always prepared for resistance and even rejection that, um, you know, we weren't quite ready to, to be able to, say Heavenly Mother on every, you know, every spread or every other spread or Heavenly Parents on every spread. And we weren't quite ready for that. And I think the unexpected joy was that we were, you know, this had to go through the Desert Book Board, of course, and we were, you know, fasting and praying and fully prepared for, to be deflated. And the feedback from the board was that we need to make this as sensitive and even more sensitive to families. There was no pushback on the Heavenly Mother component of it. And so that was an unexpected joy that I think, as we were getting ready to publish it, we thought, wow, this is might be a bit of a stretch for people. Or it might be a little bit overwhelming or a little bit too much. Um, but our unexpected joy has been mainstream Mormonism has embraced it. And it's been like, wow, yes, of course, sure. This right, we know this. Fantastic. We've got a children's book to help us celebrate and, and share this with our children. And so for me, that's been the unexpected joy. The the there was the anticipation of resistance, but it's really um been met with a, a deep resonating and um, a welcome, and that's been a great joy for us. I love that. And so, I will make a plug right now, is that holiday season is <laughs> coming up, and the book is published, and it is beautiful, and what a lovely gift to give our family members during this season, right? It would be this book. So where can people get it? Uh, you can get it on Desert Book 
website or Amazon, I believe are the two sites right now. And um, just one more thought is that I, I feel hopeful that the unexpected joy of it being met with such welcoming and open arms, it makes me hopeful for our faith community that we are open to embracing I, our, our beautiful and richest theologies. And it, it makes me excited to move forward. It's, it's really joyful. I, I completely agree. Wonderful. This has been such a lovely conversation. As always, I so enjoy our time together and the rich, dynamic conversations that we're able to have as faithful LDS women. So thank you for participating in this and for giving us this beautiful gift of this book and your talent. Well, thank you for orchestrating it, Liz. You're a genius and we admire you so much. Thanks for making this possible. Of course. This is expected joy, Liz, right? Like we always expect joy when we talk to you. And so about the unexpected joys of the book, this is expected joy. Thank you. Thank you. You, you go and make your smoothies and dive in. Exactly. Everyone go do that. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoy this podcast and the hundreds of interviews with modern Mormon women in our online library, please share with your friends and consider making a tax-deductible donation at www.mormonwomen.com to help us fund interview transcription and website support.